Searching for last-minute gifts? Shop the last-minute deal sale at Virginia ABC and save 20% on select 750-milliliter bottles. That's 20% off gifts for the hard to shop for. 20% off gifts guaranteed to fit. 20% off gifts to celebrate the season. And 20% off a little gift for yourself. Shop the last-minute deal sale at Virginia ABC. In stores and online now through December 21st. Please sip responsibly. This is the American Veteran Show. Proud to finally say these two words. Welcome home. Dedicated to those who have worn the uniform. Tremendous national asset. Dedicated to our active duty men and women. They came not as conquerors, but as liberators. Dedicated to presenting issues, topics, and interviews highlighting their commitment to our country. They are definitely tough, smart cookies. Online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephan Tubbs. Welcome to this week's edition of the American Veteran Show. Thanks, as always, for making us part of your Sunday afternoon. We are so happy to be now into our seventh season together. We couldn't do this program without our presenting sponsor, Attorney John Boson at Boson Law, fighting on behalf of veterans every single day. And as I've told you for the last couple of months, right now specifically hoping to help veterans impacted if they had any time, if you had any time, at Camp Lejeune. Remember, there is a deadline coming up, so get in touch with Boson Law bosonlaw.com or 303-999-9999 fighting on behalf of veterans every single day. Late Friday as of our record time, the United States military says that a helicopter raid led by U.S. forces in northeastern Syria has killed a senior ISIS leader. The guy's name, Hamza al-Hamsi, he was killed. However, freedom is not free. Freedom often comes with sacrifice. We send our best wishes in recovery to four U.S. service members, as well as a military canine, the dog, and the four were wounded in this. U.S. officials said four Americans and that dog were injured after Homsi detonated a suicide vest. The Americans flown to Landstuhl in Germany. We'll continue to follow that story. In the meantime, what in the world has been shot down over North America the last couple of weeks? The president of the United States in a press conference unlike no other just last week. Through the North American Aerospace Defense Command, so-called NOR- NORAD, closely scrutinized uh, the uh, our airspace, including enhancing our radar to pick up more slow-moving objects above our country, around the world. In doing so, they uh, tracked three unidentified objects, one in Alaska, Canada, and over Lake Huron in the Midwest. They acted in accordance with established parameters for determining how to deal with unidentified aerial objects in U.S. airspace. At their recommendation, I gave the order to take down these three objects due to hazards to civilian commercial air traffic and because we could not rule out the surveillance risk of sensitive facilities. We acted in consultation with the Canadian government. I spoke personally with Prime Minister Trudeau and Kent from Canada on Saturday. And just as critically, we acted out of an abundance of caution and an opportunity that allowed us to take down these, these objects safely. Our military and the Canadian military are seeking to recover the debris so we can learn more about these three objects. Our intelligence community is still assessing all three incidences. They're reporting to me daily and will continue their urgent efforts to do so, and I will communicate that to the Congress. 
We don't yet know exactly what these three objects were. But nothing, nothing right now suggests they were related to China's spy balloon program or that they were surveillance vehicles from other, any other country. The intelligence community's current assessment is that these three objects were most likely balloons tied to private companies, recreation or research institutions studying weather or conducting other scientific research. When I came into office, I instructed our intelligence community to take a broad look at the phenomenon of unidentified aerial objects. We know that a range of entities, including countries, companies, and research organizations, operate objects at altitudes for purposes that are not nefarious, including legitimate scientific research. I want to be clear. We don't have any evidence that there has been a sudden increase in the number of objects in the sky. We're now just seeing more of them partially because the steps we've taken to increase our radars, to narrow our radars. And we have to keep adapting our approach to uh, delaying, to dealing with these challenges. That's why I've directed my team to come back to me with sharper rules for how we will deal with these unidentified objects moving forward, distinguishing, distinguishing between those that are likely to pose safety and security risks that necessitate action and those that do not. But make no mistake, if any object presents a threat to the safety and security of the American people, I will take it down. I'll be sharing with Congress these classified policy parameters when they are completed, and uh, they'll remain classified so we don't give our roadmap to our enemies to try to evade our defenses. Going forward, these parameters will guide what actions we'll take while responding to unmanned and unidentified aerial objects. We're going to keep adapting them as the challenges evolve, if it evolves. In addition, I've directed my national security advisor to lead a government-wide effort to make sure we are positioned to deal safely and effectively with the objects in our airspace. First, <clears throat> we will establish a better inventory of unmanned airborne objects in space above the United States airspace and make sure that inventory is accessible and up-to-date. Second, We'll implement further measures to improve our capacity to detect unmanned objective, uh, objects in our airspace. Third, we'll update the rules and regulations for launching and maintaining unmanned objects in the skies above the United States of America. And fourth, my Secretary of State will lead an effort to help establish a global, a global, common global norms in this largely unregulated space. These steps will lead to safer and more secure skies for our air travelers, our military, our scientists, and for people on the ground as well. That's my job as your president commander in chief. As the events of the previous days have shown, we'll always act to protect the interest of the American people and the security of the American people. Since I came to office, we've developed the ability to identify, track, and study high-altitude surveillance balloons connected with the Chinese military. When one of these high-altitude surveillance balloons entered our airspace over the continental United States earlier in the month, I gave the order to shoot it down as soon as it would be safe to do so. The military advised against shooting it down over land because of the sheer size of it. It was the size of multiple school buses and opposed a risk to people on the ground if it was shot down where people lived. Instead, we tracked it closely. We analyzed its capabilities and we learn more about how it operates. And because we knew its path, we were able to protect sensitive sites against collection. We waited until it was safely over water, which would not only protect civilians,
but also enable us to recover substantial components for further analysts, for, for, for further analytics. And then we shot it down, sending a clear message, clear message. The violation of our sovereignty is unacceptable. We'll act to protect our country, and we did. Now, this past Friday, we put restrictions on six firms that directly support the People's Republic Liberation Army, the People's, Lib the People's Liberation Army Aerospace Program. That includes airships and balloons, uh, denying them access to U.S. technology. We briefed our diplomatic partners and our allies around the world, and we know about China's program and where their balloons have flown. Some of them have also raised their concerns directly with China. Our exports have lifted components of the Chinese balloons payload off the ocean floor. We're analyzing them as I speak, and what we learn will strengthen our capabilities. Now, we'll also continue to engage with China, as we have throughout the past two weeks. As I've said since the beginning of my administration, we seek competition, not conflict with China. We're not looking for a new Cold War, but I make no apologize. I make no apologies, and we will compete. And we'll, be res we'll responsibly manage that competition so that it doesn't veer into conflict. This episode underscores the importance of maintaining open lines of communication between our diplomats and our military professionals. Our diplomats will be engaging further, and I will remain in communication with President Xi. I'm grateful for the work of the last several weeks of our intelligence, diplomatic, and military professionals who have proved once again to be the most capable in the world. And I want to thank you all. Now, look, the other thing I want to point out is that we are going to keep our allies and the Congress contemporaneously informed of all we know and all we learn. And uh, I expect to be speaking with President Xi, and I hope we have we are going to get to the bottom of this. But I make no apologies for taking down that balloon. Thank you very much. The president from his press conference last week, he was asked questions, and he did simply walk away from the podium. Coming up in our next segment, we'll continue talking about these things shot down over North America. The Defense Secretary, Lloyd Austin, weighs in. That's coming up next. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Now, back to the American Veteran Show. Here's Stephan Tubbs. Welcome back. Thank you so much for making us part of your Sunday afternoon as we are now into Season 7 of the American Veteran Show. Please visit our website, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Check out our past episodes Almost all of our past episodes right there, just a couple of, of clicks away. We want to continue. Last segment, you heard the president in an unusual press conference. Nobody is saying, even though, you know, there have been politicians, including politicians here in Colorado, who have said, no, climb out of your bunkers. No, these are not alien aircraft. Well, I'll tell you one thing that is, and I'm trying not to be political here, especially on this program where I realize veterans are Democrats and Republicans and independents and many others. But I will say that it does not give me any peace when we still don't know really what these were, or at least, and isn't this important, we still don't exactly maybe know the full story. Maybe they know and we don't type of thing. So we heard the president last segment who did not take any questions whatsoever from the media. Now, in this segment, I want to focus on Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. He has appeared in many ways, shapes, and forms, except for live on this program or in an interview with us. But Lloyd Austin talking about the objects that were shot down. 
Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin sitting down for his first interview since the U.S. shot down a Chinese spy balloon and then three other flying objects over North America. Has anyone claimed ownership of the last three? No, they haven't. The intelligence community now believes those three objects were not hostile, but Austin defended the recommendation to take them out. The safety and, uh, and security of the American people uh, is always foremost in, in our minds. The decision, he says, made because the objects threatened commercial aviation and may have been collecting intelligence. Objects like these likely over U.S. skies for years, but going undetected. Is this something that the American people have been potentially in danger from for years and just not known it? We don't know if, uh, you know, how frequently these uh, these things may or may not have, have uh, appeared in our airspace. We're learning a lot more about that. The fact that the U.S. military didn't know about these until recently, is that an intelligence failure? Was that a military failure? No, it's 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 how you use your radars. They recently made some adjustments on their, on their radars and opened up the aperture and they're analyzing the data a, a bit differently. Uh, we typically are focused on things that are moving fast and, uh, and uh, it, so it's a bit more difficult to collect on slow moving objects like a balloon. China today again insisting that its balloon flew over the U.S. accidentally and that in response to new U.S. sanctions, it will, quote, take countermeasures against relevant U.S. entities. Austin acknowledged recent tensions with China have halted communications with his military counterpart. When something happens, they somehow uh, tend to shut down their military channels of communication. I think that's dangerous, uh, but it won't stop me from continuing to encourage them uh, to open up the lines of communication. I think that's the right thing to do. As to whether the U.S. could end up shooting down more objects, Austin said the government needs more information about what the first three targets were. That from NBC News. Now, again, there were questions, and this is this is an interesting one. Talking about unidentified objects shot down and military tactics, and are we really as good as we say we are? And again, they're not calling these UFO encounters, but UAO encounters. More from the defense secretary. In the last 24 hours, we've heard that a F-16 shot at and missed a flying object over Lake Huron, and that the objects themselves may likely be for research or some other benign reason. Given that there's been no other shootdowns in the past two days after we had three in a row, is the military now more wary to engage these objects? And then secondly, it seems that the debris is located in some hard-to-reach places, to put it lightly. So how important is the recovery of this wreckage in dis- um, to, de- to deciding um, the policy ahead? Bill, I- I'm not aware of any additional objects that have been reported uh, operating in the, in the space in the last 48 hours. So... Um, but in terms of whether or not the debris is, is important, it's absolutely important. And we're going to do everything we can to uh, recover debris if, if it's possible. Um, that will help us learn a lot more about, you know, what these uh, objects are. Um, we're also working with other agencies, uh, NASA, FAA, FBI, and, and everybody in the community who may have a uh, an interest in operating in this space to learn more about, uh, you know, what what these could have possibly been. And, and so I would just tell you that the safety and security of the American people, uh, are, that's, uh, that's the thing that's most important to me and to everybody on, on the uh, DOD team and throughout the interagency. 
So we're going to continue to drill until we until we learn as much as we can about uh, about you know what these objects are and why they were operating in those spaces. Uh, and we'll, we will always err on the side of caution, but uh, but again, um, there's a lot to be learned uh, going forward. That from Forbes Breaking News, and interesting the question from the reporter. A reporter from Time Magazine, and can you imagine like 50 years ago, a reporter for Time Magazine actually asking the Defense Secretary of the United States about unidentified objects that were shot down over the United States and North America? Boggles my mind. Friends, next week marks the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and the Defense Secretary talked about that this past week as well. The president is traveling to Poland. This from ABC News. We heard Defense Secretary Austin and Joint Chiefs Chairman Milley make the case that the U.S. and its allies will continue doing what it takes when it comes to providing military aid and and military equipment. And, of course, there were some specific questions about how far that's going to go. One of the questions the president recently got was, is the U.S. going to provide those F-16 fighter jets? Biden initially said no flatly, but we didn't hear uh, Secretary Austin comment any further on that today. And in addition to this kind of show support from the allies, the president is still facing questions here politically about how much more aid he can face. So going to try to show that unity, no doubt about it, when he goes to Poland next week, while trying to make sure that he can still get the support that's needed from all of those NATO allies and here at home, too, Diane. Louis, NATO countries are expressing concern at the gap. Uh, Ukraine's need for ammunition versus the ability to keep up with it. Those numbers aren't matching up. So does the Pentagon have any plans to deal with the extra ammo being sent to Ukraine? Yeah, it does, Diane. The United States and the Allies are working on getting even more ammunition for those artillery howitzers that are proving crucial in that big fight. You heard General Milley there talk about how it's essentially a stalemate there in eastern Ukraine, particularly in this one town known as Bakhmut. The fighting there is described as very intense with very high numbers of casualties, particularly on the Russian side. Full frontal assaults from the Russians, which are techniques that just aren't used in modern warfare. Um, this is a very symbolic place for both sides, and it's an artillery battle taking place place all around the, all around there all the time and that is expending a lot of artillery shells and there's essentially a shortfall now there the United States and other allies are seeing that their manufacturing probably won't be able to keep up with the need just think about this the United States has already provided in the last year alone 1 million uh, rounds of artillery shells for the fight and it's believed that the Ukrainians they launch maybe thousands of these a day the same for the Russians who have even more artillery so Definitely a concern. And Patrick, we heard them saying, you know, this is a crucial moment for Ukraine. They're talking about this new offensive by Russia. What do we know about that offensive and how Ukraine's needs are likely to evolve with that? Yeah, Diane, I mean, essentially this offensive has already begun. The question now is simply how big it becomes. Right now we know that Russia is pouring more and more troops into eastern Ukraine, particularly around Bakhmut, and that the intensifying, uh, that the artillery strikes there are intensifying every day. I mean, as he was saying, as, as both of them were saying, uh, the Russians are using tactics where basically they're sending waves of people into frontal assaults supported by artillery. And the casualties out in Bakhmut that we are hearing are hundreds of people a day being killed, likely on both sides, but casualties particularly heavy on the Russian side. And really right now, as they said in this press conference, the U.S. And, and its allies are trying, along with Ukraine, to basically prepare for two challenges. One is to hold the line now, but also to prepare Ukraine for this counteroffensive in the spring. That from ABC News. Coming up in our next segment here as the program rolls on, 
an all-female flyover at Super Bowl 57 over the skies of Arizona. We'll focus on that crew coming up next. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Welcome back to the American Veteran Show. We continue now with Stefan Tubbs. We continue this week's American Veteran Show. It was one week ago today that the <coughs> Kansas City Chiefs win yet another Super Sorry, I'm not a Chiefs fan. I'm not an Eagles fan either, but the Kansas City Chiefs uh, were victorious in Super Bowl 57, Glendale, Arizona. But it was what happened before the game. Above the skies of the stadium and a town that had an influx of more than one million people, more than one million additional people came to the greater Phoenix area for not only the Super Bowl, but the uh, Waste Management Open. But think about that. The city basically doubled in size for about a week. But what happened above was a first, a first all-female flyover. These are highly trained, highly skilled pilots that have been you know, honing these aviation skills for years. They've flown combat missions. This will probably be their highest profile mission ever. They even put up with the occasional civilian in the back seat. But they're also furthering a legacy of women on the flight deck. Taking off from Luke Air Force Base, Lieutenant Peggy Dente is getting ready for what will be the highest profile mission of her Navy career, buzzing State Farm Stadium right after the national anthem. Have you done a flyover before? I have not. No, it's my first one. Small stage for a first flyover. Yeah, no pressure. Nervous? You know, I think it'd be crazy if you weren't a little bit nervous, but a little bit of nerves keeps you honest, keeps you humble, keeps you focused on the mission. Sunday's four-fighter flyover will have an all-woman team of seven as the Navy celebrates 50 years of female pilots. It wasn't until 1973 when eight women were first allowed to enter flight school. Six earned their wings. About a year after graduating, Rosemary Mariner became the first woman assigned to pilot a Navy fighter. Women now make up about 15 percent of naval aviators. It is not lost on me how special it is that I get to do what I'm doing today because they did it first. The significance of this Super Bowl first wasn't lost on some of the NFL's greats. Several Hall of Famers visited the pilots and their support crews Thursday to thank them for their service. It's definitely a huge honor to be asked to do this and to celebrate those women that have paved this way for all of us. Lieutenants Ariel Ash and Suri Morena will be leading the diamond formation. I don't think we have any question about the execution of it. I think it's going to go just a plan. Because you have to be there at down to the second. That's correct. We're used to the mission, maybe not so much used to the publicity. The pilots have had a couple weeks to prepare, including this Friday practice flight. But first, Lieutenant Dente is showing us what her EA-18 growler can do. Are you for that? I can't believe it. Which meant pulling a 6G turn. That's six times the force of gravity pressing down upon us. And apparently it's not a true flight if you don't go upside down. How did I do? You did really well, Chris. I didn't throw up. I didn't pass out. No, neither of those things. I think you did great. Dante fell in love with aviation as a kid, learning to fly with her dad. The inspiration to join the Navy came from her grandfather, who flew helicopters in Vietnam. 
Now she and the rest of these pilots get a chance to inspire a new generation of aviators. I think it's a message not just to young girls, but to young people um, that they can do whatever they set their mind to. And if they want to be a jet pilot, that is well within possibility for them. This marks 50 years of women flying in the Navy, and yes, they are trailblazers, but they are pilots first. And not only will all of the pilots be women, but also all of the naval flight officers, and most of those who maintain these jets are women as well. At more than 300 miles an hour, the United States Navy is making history at Super Bowl 57. It's any pilot's dream to do this. I think it's a great testament to naval aviation. For the first time ever, all the Navy jets flying over the stadium before the game will be piloted by women. Call sign Jenga. I am so new to the fleet that I don't have a call sign yet. Katie Perkowski and Suzelle Thomas are two of the four pilots in the diamond formation. I'll be in what's known as the slot, so I will be the back of the diamond. And then I'll be on the left wing. One of the people that trained you on the plane that you're going to be flying was a woman. She was the first uh, female jet pilot that I've ever met or trained with. She taught me much of what I know about the F-35. Uh, it's an honor that she's in this group. I love flying around the boat. Flying around the aircraft carrier is awesome. While Perkowski has spent most of her career flying on and off a 100,000-ton aircraft carrier, getting the call to fly over the Super Bowl is a whole new ball game. I did not believe it. It was surreal. As a football fan, when I got the call to do the Super Bowl flyover, it's almost like a dream initially. Um, as somebody that loves the NFL. While they're living their dream, make no mistake, these dogged war fighters are clearing the air for the next generation of fighter pilots. What it boils down to is that we train to do this job together. I didn't join the Navy to be a female fighter pilot. I joined the Navy to be a fighter pilot. So uh, it does, to me, it makes no difference. An incredibly important statement there. Also, Lieutenant Thomas is the first woman in the Navy to qualify directly to fly the Navy's newest aircraft, the F-35C. And you can see it right there behind me. So you guys make sure to look out for that. That from CBS News and the most recent from ABC News, both the pilots and the all-female flight ground crew. That is just amazing. May we get to a point, I will editorialize here, I can't wait until we get to the point where people like me and in my industry, we don't have to say first female, first black, first Hispanic, first person of color. I cannot wait until we get there. And we'll get there someday. want to close out this segment three of the American Veteran Show this week in a way that makes us special, and I am proud to toot our own horn. Chris Stapleton, the incredibly talented country music star, did arguably, some people have said, and I've seen it on social media, this was the second best national anthem in Super Bowl history. I personally think you will never be able to unseat Whitney Houston and her national anthem at a Super Bowl, but here's Chris Stapleton. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. To honor America with the performance of the National Anthem, eight-time Grammy Award winner, Chris Stapleton.
is the American Veteran Show, online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephen Tubbs. We wrap up this week's edition of the program with a look at a charity that we've highlighted so many times over the years, the Honor Bell Foundation. And after its inception, now it is headed by a United States Marine Corps veteran, Chris Boyer. So I fought in the uh, first Gulf War, Desert Storm, United States Marines, Fox Battery, 2nd Battalion, 12th Marines. And I'm proud to say that Fox Battery were the first ground unit in Desert Storm to engage in combat. And we're in your debt, my brother. Tell me a little bit and tell everybody about how you get involved with the Honor Bell. You know, I, uh, for years and years in my past career, sitting in my office, doing my job, I found myself constantly daydreaming about one day being able to work with and for my fellow veterans, brothers and sisters. And that really began with just my own journey on on conquering my issues with PTSD. And that meant engaging with a variety of different local nonprofits that help guys and gals like us. And it just kind of caught fire. Uh, From there, I started volunteering with and for these organizations. And it just became a passion. And one of those organizations was the Honor Bell Foundation. And you knew you were one of those guys. And, you know, your, you know, your story is um, sadly, I guess, so like so many veterans where, you know, you come back and you have to deal with the things that you did and the things that you saw. And I'm just uh, and I'm not blowing smoke. I am so proud of you for, you know, going through the steps and, and you know, some of the stuff that I'll, I'll keep off the air. But, you know, you you've got this 
you've got this tenacity and you have not quit. You haven't let your demons rule your life. And one of the things that I'm so happy about is that, you know, you now carry on in Lou and Michelle's uh, footsteps. And, and, you know, you were what you were a young kid when you kind of knew that the Marine Corps was was for you and starting with right your military history and your family. Yeah, absolutely. So basically every every uh, adult uh, in my family growing up, every adult male was a veteran, and uh, most of which had seen combat. So my grandpa was in World War II, my father in Vietnam, uh, two tours, Marine Corps, and most all of my uncles uh, were in Vietnam. So I just figured that if you want to be a grown-up, mm. <laughs> that's what you had to do. So you know, as a little eight, nine, ten year old boy, that's, uh, you know, I had made the determination. Mm-hmm. Chris Boyer is um, my friend, and he is um, right now the leader of the Honor Bell Foundation. And I know that some people listening, they've heard me talk so much over the years and on the American Veterans Show about what the Honor Bell is. But if you wouldn't mind, give people a primer again what it is because it is absolutely gorgeous i remember the first time ever that i saw it uh believe it or not in in lou Oliveira's driveway as um as this foundation was uh, was just taking part several years ago uh and, and forming but talk about the bell in specifics sure the honor bell itself is a thousand pounds of bronze um, which, ma- which makes it a very beautiful instrument on its own. However, what makes it very special and unique is that cast into it are the artifacts from a dozen deceased Colorado veterans ranging from World War II to Iraq and Afghanistan. Some amazing stories in there. And that makes the Honor Bell truly forged from honor. And the Honor Bell's mission, and we've, it is mounted in a specially equipped vehicle so we can be mobile. We spend the vast majority of our time at Fort Logan National Cemetery where you'll find us there Monday through Friday tolling for veterans. So, you know, honoring veterans as they're being laid to rest is is, is primarily what we do. And the bell is tolled only by veterans and only for veterans. And as of right now, we are um, averaging nearly 100 um, bell honors, veteran services per month. The number is just staggering to me, and I'm so glad because with every bell ceremony, bell honors ceremony, you know, there's a family there or at minimum, even if there are not family members, uh, say for someone that really had no family, you know, this veteran that's being laid to rest, they're getting the honors that they so richly deserve. And I'll never forget Lou and Michelle, you know, you you ring a bell in joy, you toll a bell uh, in sorrow. It is truly amazing. Every single time that a veteran tolls that bell, it obviously has um, a significant impact and it is of the utmost importance. You know, and and you're absolutely correct. So for every single veteran that we toll for is is very important. And, you know, what's also important is, you know, the what the family takes away from that, what they go home with, you know, with that special sense of pride and patriotism in their veteran, which um, you know, they may not have realized or may have forgotten over the past, but um, it's all about respect and honoring the veteran, respecting the family and for all the veterans that we have the privilege to honor. You know, obviously, fundraising is so vitally important for any 501c3. Uh, if you'd like to donate or find out more information, friends, on the Honor Bell, it's honorbell.org, honorbell.org. 
I I can't end the the time with you without asking, how's Noodle? Ah, he's doing amazing. We just uh, introduced a a cat to the family. Uh oh. And uh, <laughs> yeah, Noodle for for who doesn't know, he's a boxer pit bull, and he's my service dog. And uh, you know, he looks like a ferocious beast, but he's really just a kitten. <laughs> he he is he is a a, a charging dump truck. Uh, <laughs> It took a couple of months, but it's, it's so. So, so dogs and cats can get along. Is that what you're trying to tell us? Yes, even even uh, bully breeds like uh, boxer <laughs> pit bull mixes and cats. So. Uh, that's awesome, and I I, I laugh and I know how much uh, noodle. I mean, it's just goes almost no words could say what noodle means to you. Your service dog and changed your life, didn't he? Yeah. Well, we changed each other's life, so I couldn't imagine being without him. Brother Semperfy. To you, thank you for your service, your sacrifice for leading uh, the Honor Bell uh, nonprofit, honorbell.org, and um, just a, a big salute to the men and women, the volunteers, and, and those of you that work so hard every day. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. I'm lucky to be able to do it. Thank you. Again, honorbell.org for more information. For producer Michael Arpaio, I'm Stefan Tubbs. Have a terrific week ahead. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Take time out. And remember our troops.
Burns Show is a copyrighted production of Mountain Time Media Group, LLC. All rights reserved. For more information, visit AmericanVeteranShow.com. And join us next week for another edition of The American Veteran Show. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.